Chapter 32 of The Story of the World, A Simple History for Boys and Girls. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Andrew Frame. The Story of the World, A Simple History for Boys and Girls by Elizabeth O'Neill. Chapter 32, The Counter-Reformation. We've seen how, even before the Protestant reformers rebelled against the Church, Catholic reformers like Erasmus and Collett and more had tried to make the Church better. People had read their books and laughed at the witty and clever things in those of Erasmus and more, but there was no reform, and the Church and the people did not become more religious and better educated as the reformers had hoped, though there were always some people who were hoping for better things. But when first Luther and then other Protestant reformers rose in rebellion against the Church, at last the Pope and the Catholics were startled. People began to think more seriously about religion. Many people were sad when they saw how the old teaching and ways of the Church were attacked by the reformers. This led to a new time in the life of the Church, a time when religion spread once more among the people, and new religious orders and great saints arose once more in the Church. The changes at this time are called the Counter-Reformation, which means the movement against the Reformation. In this wonderful Counter-Reformation against Protestantism, many countries were kept from being Protestant, and some which had become Protestant were even won back. It was the rise of this great eagerness and new love for the old church which led to the great struggle between Catholics and Protestants during the second half of the 16th century and on to the 17th. In the end, it was chiefly the southern people who remained Catholic. There was never more than a very few Protestants in Italy and Spain, and it was in these countries that the Counter-Reformation began. After many years of struggle, nearly all South Germany was Catholic, and the northern parts, Protestant. Countries where the Slavs had settled, like Hungary and Poland, were Catholic. The northern nations, Norway, Sweden, and Denmark, were Protestant. We've already seen how England and Scotland became Protestant, while Ireland, which had been conquered by England, was always Catholic. It was in Catholic countries under Protestant rulers and Protestant countries under Catholic rulers that the bitterest struggles between the Reformation and the Counter-Reformation took place. The great new religious order of the Counter-Reformation was the Society of Jesus. Those who belonged to it soon came to be called Jesuits. The man who started it was St. Ignatius Loyola. Ignatius was a Spaniard and the son of a noble house. When he was a boy, he was a page at the court of King Ferdinand of Aragon. He afterwards became a soldier, but was wounded in battle and made lame for life. While he lay in bed, ill from his wound, Ignatius asked for some books to be brought to him. He wanted stories of knights and ladies such as he had read before and loved. But someone gave him instead the lives of the saints. He began to read them without much interest, for though he was a good Catholic, he had not before thought very much about religion. But now, all of a sudden, it seemed to be the only thing worth living for. Ignatius felt that he too could try to be a saint, and if he could no longer be a soldier of the king, he could be what was much better, a soldier of Christ and a knight of Our Lady. Ignatius had always been very brave. When his leg was first hurt, the bone had been joined badly, and the doctors had to break it and set it again. Ignatius bore it without a cry, just clenching his hands tightly. Now when he changed his life altogether, he made up his mind to suffer bravely for the sake of Christ. At first he thought he would go and fight in the Holy Land, like the Crusaders of the Middle Ages, and he did make a pilgrimage there. 
But then the thought came to him that he might do far better work by fighting against Protestantism in Europe. He was not very well educated, as he had been trained to be a soldier. And so, though he was a grown man, he went to several universities and studied beside young boys, quite simply and humbly. At the University of Paris, several young men joined him, among them another Spaniard who became the great St. Francis Xavier. They made up their minds to form a society, and in the end they got the Pope to allow them to do so. Many men joined the Society of Jesus, and Ignatius was head of all. He was called the General, and everyone in the society had to obey him, just as soldiers obey their generals without any question. It was this wonderful obedience which made the Society of Jesus different from any other religious order. The general knew that he only had to give an order, and any member of the society would obey whatever it might be. And the only reason for the setting up of the society was to work for the Pope. In a short time, the Jesuits spread into every country of Europe, and the Pope knew that he had in them a great army to help on the work of the Counter-Reformation. No Jesuit ever thought of himself, but always of the society. He was taught to do this from the first day he joined it. St. Ignatius wrote a wonderful book called The Spiritual Exercises. The exercises were thoughts and meditations about God and religion, and every novice, as the young men who were being trained to be Jesuits were called, went into retreat for four weeks when he joined the society. That is to say, he did not speak to his companions, but gave up his time to prayer, and went right through the spiritual exercises. The Jesuits set up many schools for boys, and trained their pupils to feel about the church and pope just as they did themselves. Jesuits traveled into far-off countries like India and Japan and the newly discovered America, giving their whole lives to teaching the Catholic religion. Some Jesuits were always to be found in England under Elizabeth, although they knew that they would certainly be put to death if they were found, as many of them were. After St. Ignatius died, his work went on, and the Jesuits today are still governed by a general whom all must obey like soldiers. As there had been so much questioning about the church's teaching, a great council was called at the city of Trent in the north of Italy to lay down once more the teaching of the church. It met in the year 1545, and with interruptions went on until 1563. The emperor, Charles V, and some of the Catholics hoped that the council would make some sort of agreement with the Protestants and so perhaps get them back to the church again. But the greater number of Catholics, and especially the Jesuits, would not hear of this. Charles V was dead before the Great Council of Trent came to an end, but he already saw that there was no hope of the Catholics and the Protestants coming to an agreement. The Council made the teaching of the Church plainer than ever, and made it plain, too, that no one who had any other opinions could remain in the Church. The Struggle Between Spain and the Netherlands among the strictest Catholics of the Counter-Reformation was King Philip II of Spain. He was the son of the Emperor Charles V, who in the year 1555, tired out and old before his time, gave up all his empire and went to live quietly in Spain. He did not become a monk, but he lived near a monastery and joined the monks in their long prayers. He did not live long. Charles's brother Ferdinand became emperor after him, but his son Philip became king of Spain and ruler of the Low Countries. Philip was a young man with fair hair and a broad forehead and blue eyes like his father Charles V, but he was not like his father in other ways. Charles had always been wise and fairly tolerant and had treated the Protestants much better than any of the other Catholic rulers. But Philip was quite different. He was absolute ruler of Spain. 
No one but the king had any power there, and he was determined to rule the Low Countries in just the same way. He hated the Protestants, and as there were many Protestants in the Low Countries, a terrible struggle broke out between them and Spain. There were 17 provinces altogether in the Low Countries, or the Netherlands, as they were called. Each had its own ways and its own government, but they were all joined under one ruler, and this ruler was now the King of Spain. The people of the different provinces belonged to different races. There were Dutchmen in the north, many of whom were fishermen. The land was very low indeed there, and great walls or dikes were built to keep the sea from covering it. There is the story of how a little boy was once going to his home at night when he saw there was a hole in the dike and the water was pouring in. He was afraid that if he went on to tell anybody the water would have time to flood the land, so he bravely pushed his arm through the hole. It was just big enough to stop it, and there he stayed all night in the cold and dark, until in the morning some workmen passing to their work found him. The hole was mended, and the land was saved through the courage of the boy. In the south and east, the people were Flemish and Dutch. There were many cities and much trade. Very early, the Protestant reformers had spread their teaching among the Netherlanders, and even Charles V had put many of the people to death, for he could do there what he did not dare do in Germany. Yet Charles was really a Fleming and liked the people of the Netherlands, while Philip was a thorough Spaniard. As soon as he became king, Philip sailed away to Spain and left his sister Margaret to rule the Netherlands. But he left orders, too, that the Protestants should be rooted out of the land. I shall not rest, he said, while there is one man left believing in the teaching of Martin Luther. He sent men called inquisitors to find out which people were Protestants and to have them burnt to death. In Spain itself, the Inquisition had been set up. It was in the hands of Dominicans, and it showed no mercy to Protestants. The story of the terrors of the Inquisition spread all over Europe and made the Protestant countries like England hate Spain more than ever. Not only the Protestants in the Netherlands, but the Catholics, too, were angry against Philip. They were ready to fight not only for their religion, but also for freedom. Even Margaret, though she was a Catholic, sent word to Philip by the Catholic Count Egmont that he was making a mistake in his rule of the Low Countries. But he took no notice. Then two hundred nobles carried a petition to Margaret at the court of Brussels, and when it was read to her, she said nothing, but tears ran down her face. A story is told that someone standing near her said, Surely your highness is not afraid of these beggars. The name beggar stuck to the Protestants and became their watchword. Still, Philip took no notice. Then the news came that he was sending the great Duke of Alva to govern the Netherlands. Everyone had heard of him and knew that he would have no mercy. I have tamed men of iron, he said. Shall I not easily crush these men of butter? He was to find out that here again he had men of iron to deal with. Alva arrived with a great Spanish army. He had kept them in order while they marched, but in the Netherlands they were allowed to treat the people in the most terrible way. The first thing Alva did was to put the two Catholic counts, Egmont and Horn, who had stood up for the freedom of their country, in prison. He pretended to be friendly to them and asked them to his house at Brussels. When they were there, they were seized and carried off as prisoners to the castle of Ghent. After being there a year, they were brought before the Council of Blood, as the people called the judges whom Alva had set up to try the Protestants. They were condemned to die, and even the Spanish soldiers cried when they saw them led to the scaffold in the great square at Brussels. They walked bravely to their death, Count Egmont dressed in red with a short cloak of black and gold over his shoulder. 
He prayed as he walked. Alva wished to frighten the people by these things, but he only made them hate him. Margaret, who had now gone away from the Netherlands, had said that he would make the very name of Spaniard hateful to the people. And he did. Hundreds of people beside the two counts were condemned to death by the Council of Blood, but the beggars only grew more determined than ever. They now had for their leader, William of Orange. Orange was a little district in the southeast of France, but William had lands in the Netherlands and Germany too, and was much more German than French. William's father was a Lutheran, but Charles V had the boy brought up as a Catholic at his court. He was fond of him, and when he resigned his crown to Philip in the great court of his palace at Brussels, the emperor leaned on the shoulder of William, who was then a young man of 22. William fought for Charles in his wars with France, and he was one of the men who made the treaty with France, which ended the wars. He was very careful not to say anything too much at this time, for fear the French would take advantage of some slip of the tongue, and ever afterwards he was called William the Silent. But he was not at all a quiet man. He was always very eager for what he thought was right, and was a great speaker. He used fine language, and could easily persuade the people who heard him to do what he wanted. When Philip became king, William the Silent was made ruler over Holland and some other of the provinces of the north. But he never liked Philip, and he joined the counts of Egmont and Horn against him. Soon afterwards, William became a Protestant, first a Lutheran and then a Calvinist, and from this time he led the Protestants in their struggle with Philip. William had left the Netherlands and gone to his lands in Germany before Alva came, but his eldest son, Philip William, a boy studying at the University of Louvain, was seized by the Spaniards and carried off to Spain. There he was brought up by Philip as an enemy to his father. Many of the beggars had begun almost to live on the sea. The Netherlanders were always very much at home on the sea, and they now began to revenge themselves by attacking the Spanish ships and taking their treasures. Suddenly, on the 1st of April in the year 1572, some of the beggars' ships sailed into the mouth of the River Meuse and attacked the town of Brill, a ferryman saw them coming and told the Spaniards and the people in the town, which was under the rule of Alva. The ferryman stated that perhaps there were 5,000, although he knew that there were not more than 300. Then all of the people fled away from Brill, and the beggars took it for their own. It was the beginning of a great change. All over the northern provinces, the people rose against the Spaniards and took William the Silent to rule over them. The Duke of Alva was terribly angry, but the Netherlanders were full of joy, and the people sang in the streets, On April Fool's Day, Duke Alva's spectacles were stolen away. The name Brill means spectacles in Dutch, and the rhyme was a pun on the name of the town. The Protestants had to fight many a hard battle still against the Spaniards. In the first winter, the Spaniards were surprised to see the Dutchmen skating over the frozen waters to fight them. But the Spaniards ordered skates too, and soon learned to use them. The beautiful city of Harlem was besieged for seven months, but it had to give way at last. Still, thousands of Spaniards had lost their lives in taking it. Then began the siege of the town of Leyden, which lasted for a year. The people in it were dying of starvation, but still they would not give way. Then William the Silent, Father William as the Dutch lovingly called him, thought of a way to save it. He had holes made in the dikes, and the water flowed in on the land. The people went into their ships. Better a drowned land than a lost land, said William. 
The Spaniards laughed, for they thought the water would never rise as high as Leyden. But it did. The Spaniards fled away, and the beggars sailed up in their ships to save the people of Leyden, and to give them food and comfort. For many years yet, the struggle between Spain and the Netherlands went on. The Duke of Alva went back to Spain, but Philip sent his own half-brother, the brave Don John of Austria, to take his place. One thing which prevented the Netherlanders from conquering the Spaniards was that the provinces would not really join themselves together as William advised them. He himself had no wish to be ruler and was quite ready to set up a republic. But the southern provinces, which were Catholic, did not like this. There were many nobles there, and they did not like the idea of a republic. In the end, William lived the last part of his life very quietly in the north. He had spent nearly all his money for his country, and at last he was to give his life, too. Philip had declared William an outlaw and a traitor, and offered a reward of a great deal of money to anyone who should rid the world of such a pest. A Spaniard shot at William in the streets of Antwerp, but the ball went in by his right ear and out through his left cheek. He was not killed, but his wife died from the shock. Though William knew that he was always in danger, he could not bear to have himself guarded all the time, and at last he was shot down by a Frenchman in his own house at Delft. The people and even the children wept at the news, but William had, after all, won freedom for his country. It was not long before the Spaniards had to give the Netherlands their freedom, for Philip had great battles to fight in other places. Great English soldiers crossed the sea to fight for the Netherlands against Spain, and so at last in 1609 the seven northern provinces became independent of Spain. The ten provinces of the south remained under the government of the daughter of the Spanish king and her husband, but they too had won the liberties for which they had fought. The northern provinces are now the little Protestant kingdom of Holland, and the southern provinces the little Catholic kingdom of Belgium. So ended one of the bitterest struggles between the Reformation and the Counter-Reformation. End of chapter 32, The Counter-Reformation.